What Are You Made Of? It's Mike C-Rock. Welcome to What Are You Made Of? Every episode of this podcast is centered around building ourselves and the people in our lives to reach our full potential. I hope that the experiences and stories of success from these conversations can give you rocket fuel to reach new heights and help you answer the question, What Are You Made Of? What Are You Made Of? I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. And subscribe to the What Are You Made Of podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like watching these, it's available on YouTube at my channel, Mike C-Rock Scirocco. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Made Of with your boy, Mike C-Rock, the unstoppable you can be unstoppable too. Go get that Rocket Fuel book. Convert setbacks, become unstoppable. MikeCRock.com forward slash book. MikeCRock.com forward slash book. You'll see that Grant Cardone wrote the forward for the book. He talks about what the Rocket Fuel concept is meant to him and his business. So go get that book. Today, our guest is Sean Swarner. He has broken through to find human limitations in order to redefine the way the world views success. He was diagnosed with two different and unrelated forms of cancer, once at the age of 13 and again at the age of 16. Despite a prognosis of just 14 days to live and having been read his last rites, Sean astounded the medical community when he survived both of these brutal diseases. Sean realized that after defeating cancer twice, no challenge would ever be too great, no peak too high. He's also done some awesome things as far as maybe climbing like a couple hills, <laughs> Mount Everest being one of them. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is pretty crazy that I'm not going to get into all these cause I'm going to let you talk about them here, but it's just amazing that 14 days, brother, like I have a shirt on, I wore this for you today. So before I, I get into it, before I, before I ask you the question, what are you made of? I just want to let you know, stubborn to me is a powerful word and it's not the wrong thing when it's on the right thing. And I, the definition in Merriam Webster dictionary, I talk about this all the time is perversely unyielding. I now it. you had something in your mind back then. And they said 14 days to live. And you're like, uh-uh, <laughs> I'm perversely unyielding to what I need to do, my purpose. And I love that. It gets me fired up. So first of all, welcome to the show. And secondly, what are you made of? Well, well, first of all, I, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate you wearing the shirt for me because I am very stubborn in a good way. Because uh, you're right. They did give me 14 days to live and 14 turned to 15, turned to 16, turned to a month, turned to three months. It's just, it's awesome. I, I believe I am made of Let's put it bluntly, stubbornness. How about we go with that? <laughs> Love it. Perfect. That's perfect. So how sick were you at that moment where they gave you two weeks? You know, that, was, that was my second battle with cancer. The first one, I was, I was 13. I was given three months to live. The second one was 14 days to live. You know, and and as, as you said, it was just, I was 16 the second time. And the first time, I don't think I really understood what cancer meant. Yeah, I didn't really understand what dying was because at a young age, you just really don't get that stuff. But imagine you're, you're laying in a hospital bed, man of the cloth comes in and starts reading you your last rites. You know, I, I looked at my mom and I was like, my first question was like, what the hell's he doing? Like, I'm, I'm not dead yet. So we got him out of the room and then it just turned into one fortunate thing after another. But it wasn't just laying in bed, wishing and praying and hoping. It was pushing myself one bit at a time. I mean, my, my first goal was literally literally to crawl from the hospital bed eight feet to the bathroom so I wouldn't soil the sheets. You know, the doctors told me I, would, I was also in a medically induced coma for a year, you know, in and out of the hospital for the treatments. So I'm the only person who's ever had these two cancers. The chances of me getting over both of them is equivalent to winning the lottery four times in a row with the same numbers. I mean, I'm a living, breathing, walking miracle. 
So I, I really think that it's it's that mental attitude, that mental prowess that pushed me forward that got me going. And and one of the biggest things I think was so going back to the first cancer, I remember being 60 pounds overweight on my hands and knees in the shower weeping. And imagine what it's like when you're washing your hair and you bring your hands down and they're just covered in chunks and all your hair falls out at once. And you're sitting there weeping, pulling chunks of hair to the drain, crying your eyeballs out, knowing that you are literally at the lowest point in your life that you could possibly be. So it was also in that same moment that I realized I had two choices. I could either fight for my life or give up and die. But that's when I started looking at things a little bit differently. And this is what I'm made of. I'm not focusing on trying to not die. I'm focused on living. And so many people, when they're walking through life, they're like, you know, don't do this. Don't do that. You know, if, if you, whatever you focus your attention on is what you're going to get. Even if it's, if, if it's telling yourself to not do something, that's like sticking a kid in a room with a button that says, don't, don't push, you know, what's going to happen. So I think that's, that's one of the moments that I realized that I had, I had a choice in where my life was going to go. And I was going to be focused on where I wanted it to go, not the avoidance of where I didn't want it to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's life or death right there. Most people are dealing with this in business, finances, their health, as far as uh, getting in shape. But this is life and death that you did this with, which is just absolute. So, so which time were you more sick? Was it the later one? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Because it, it's so rare. Yeah. Yeah. And then medically induced coma for a year. Like, so that's a year that you just were totally out. There was never any parts where you came to and, and then you woke up a year later. It, it was weird. So I went in for three months of chemo and then a month of radiation and then 10 more months of chemo. And every time I was in for a treatment, so my cycle would be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, inpatient. And then I'd be released so my body could recover, you know, grow more red blood cells and hemoglobin. So my body, because otherwise you, you would die of too much chemo. Then I went back in when my body recovered, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So that would be one cycle. And every time they put me in the hospital, they gave me something so I wouldn't remember the treatments because they were so harsh. I clearly remember the month I had my radiation treatment because I would drive and I just turned 16. So I was fortunate that I, I could get that time behind the wheel. I was driving an hour and a half each way. So one way to the hospital for a 30 minute radiation treatment to drive back home 90 miles. I remember that month of treatment, but it was just a bombardment of gamma radiation. So I, I essentially only have one fully functioning lung. My right one doesn't even work. And then I went back in for, you know, 10 more months of chemo. And when I was in the hospital, that's what I don't remember. Wow. That's crazy. All right. So we're done talking about that now. Let's talk about what you did after that. Because that, right? yeah, yeah, let's talk about the stuff that living, that living part that you're talking about. Because, you know, look, we got to talk about the first part, understand. But again, let's not focus on that, right? Absolutely. So from there, how long did it take you to start being able to work out and things after you, the second bout? So a year after I was placed in remission, I actually won my high school's league track meet in the 800 meter run. One year in remission, I won, I ran a 156 for the 800, two laps around the track, which yeah. is just unheard of for most kids in high school. I'm trying to think how fast I could run it. <laughs> we have a building at our gym that we run around and we, I think it's 450 meters. So I, I try to think about that. I think the fastest time I had was like a minute, minute 13. And you did two of those laps basically, or maybe one and a half. Well, yeah, one and three quarters, something like that. Just, just round up and say two minutes. In two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I got tired. When I was running, man, I was I was going so hard. And and I, I got back and I just like I couldn't even breathe. I was just laying there. So you did this. Did you only have one working lung then too? I did. I did. But but looking at it though, man, I'm guessing we have two different body types. I'm like the lean, big chested, skinny guy. Yeah. I'm five, six and three quarters, two hundred and ten pounds. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm, I'm six two, one eighty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Longer <laughs> legs. Yeah, you had long, You had to take less steps. I mean, that's what I'll. That's what I call the the uh, reason there. So, all right. And then, so over there, you started. Like, how did this mountain climbing thing work out? Like, how did that come about? Well, wow, that that came about after college because I relived my high school years. I turned into Belushi from Animal House in college. I had a great time. Did you? I was the guy swinging from the rafters, drinking too much, partying too much. Then I went to. I kind of got my life together. Went to Jacksonville, Florida. Went to UNF. Well, I was going to be a psychologist for cancer patients. And then I decided, okay, well, I couldn't help anybody until I helped myself because uh, I had baggage, man. I didn't realize how much the cancer messed with my head. But then I knew that I wanted to give back to the cancer community. And now it's it's everybody who's going through something traumatic, some, some uncertain time. And then I, I just kept doing the research and found that I wanted to literally use the highest platform on earth. And that's when I said, okay, well, I'm going to be the first cancer survivor to climb Mount Everest. And so how does that go? Do you train for it somewhere else first or do you go there and train? Like, how do you, I don't, I'm not even sure how to do that. Let's say I wanted to do that. What's the first step? Good question. So after my research, I found the highest point in Florida is the top of the Four Seasons Hotel in Miami. So I needed some mountains. My brother and I packed up our Honda Civic and we were homeless for about a month and a half living in Colorado to maybe two months when I was training. My office was a payphone bank and the library. No, I didn't even, I was living on the back of our car and camping. So I, I, but I, but I was doing something every single day. So I, I understood that consistency was more important than intensity. So I did something little every day. And eventually I was going out, there's something called Long's Peak, which is a 18 miles round trip up to 14,256 feet. I did that once a week with a hundred pounds of rocks in my backpack. So I was getting my body used to the altitude and I'll go up in bad days, full knowing that a bad day on Long's Peak was probably better than a good day on Everest. So I trained for the harsh, the harsh aspects of the mountain. And so what were you doing for work at that point? Pets, living off savings. Okay. <laughs> and how old were you? 26, 27 years old. So my savings were about this big. <laughs> Holy cow, man. And so you were just committed to it. You got committed to something. You were stubborn, perversely unyielding to get to it. You trained. And then how do you know when you're ready to do it? Did you have a mentor? I, I did not. I, uh, there was a book I read called Mountaineering Freedom of the Hills. And that taught me everything. And, and basically, I learned a lot by trial and error. Thank God, more trial than, than error. But uh, eventually, I, it came to a point where I had to hire someone to take me up Everest. Because you can't just show up in Nepal and say, hey, I'm here to climb Everest. And like, okay, go ahead. Right. You know, you have to go with an expedition team. So I approached, I can't tell you how many people in the state that told me there was absolutely no way they would take me. A, I didn't have the experience because when I moved to Colorado, I literally was going to leave for Nepal nine, 10 months later. So I was training for Everest in 10 months. You know, most people train for decades. So I didn't have anybody who believed they could, uh, they were going to take me. And I also didn't have anybody who actually thought it was possible. And they didn't think it was physiologically possible to climb Everest with half your lung capacity. I I had everything going against me. And so paint the picture. So you figure out the way to get there. You get there, you get somebody that's going to take you. So paint the picture. What is it like at the bottom, the middle, and the top? Like, take us through that. So, well, we have to actually go before the bottom, just just below okay. the summit, or just below the base camp. Base camp itself is at seventeen thousand six hundred feet, which okay? is like what in the United States? There's nothing in the United States except for Denali and Alaska, the Alaska mountain range. So, if you look at the continental United States, the highest mountain is about fourteen thousand five hundred in California. So three thousand higher, exactly. Okay. So that's base camp. That's base camp. <laughs> that's okay. Base camp. <laughs> okay. And I remember because when, when you go higher in altitude, your body manufactures more red blood cells to become more efficient. 
wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that my book, Rocket Fuel, is available for sale now at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get a copy and share it with your friends and family. It will change lives, guys. I will not let you down. Now back to the show. And I remember going out there, 27-year-old, and I was struggling to get to base camp. There's a steep section. And this lady who at the time I thought she was like 90 years old, she's got something on her forehead carrying a bunch of wood behind her like a backpack. She just zips right by me. I'm thinking to myself, holy cow, like I'm never, this is never going to happen. But it's because her body was used to the altitude. So on Everest, I was actually there for a month and a half getting my body used to the altitude before I went to the summit. So base camp is this giant open area on a glacier that moves four feet a day. So imagine every day you're in the tent, you wake up, you're four feet away from your four feet further away from your goal. That compounds into a huge amount. Damn. Yeah. So then the, the first really dangerous section is the Kumbu Icefall, which is the most dangerous section of the climb because it's it's moving four feet a day. And if you can imagine Manhattan, right, on a 45-degree angle, all the skyscrapers would tumble into one another. Yeah. Now move that four feet a day and just turn it into ice. That's the Kumbu Icefall. Oh, right. Huge, giant crevasses where you could where we, where we would have to walk across aluminum ladders tied together from one side of a crevasse to another. And we're wearing metal spikes on our boots, walking over aluminum ladders. So it's not exactly sticky, you know, so you're slipping across the stuff. So going up and down the mountain, shuttling things with a full backpack back down the mountain with an empty backpack over and over and over again for a month and a half. And then there's a section called the Lotsey ice face that is a 45 degree angle sheet of bulletproof ice. So if you take one wrong step there, you could literally tumble a mile down to your death. Mm. After that, getting up to camp four, which is a relatively small, flat area before the summit push, 26,000 feet. So anything from here on up is called the death zone. And the human body deteriorates in this altitude. Brain cells die, muscle melts away, fat melts away. You know, earlier I told you I was, I was 6'2", 180, 185, right? Mm-hmm. I came back from that mountain, same height, I suppose, <laughs> but I didn't shrink, but I came back weighing 150 pounds Jeez! because in that altitude and doing something that extreme, you need at least 10 to 12,000 calories a day just to maintain your weight. Wow. Wow. You know, and there are no fast food joints up there, so you, you can't stop it in. So it's cold at base camp? It goes, okay, so let me paint a picture here. The temperatures on Everest can go anywhere from, say, 80 in the sun to like minus 40. And it can go from 80 to zero in like five minutes. What? Because if, if, the, if, the, sun, if the sun's out, you're getting blasted by the radiation because you're so you're much so high. higher in altitude. Yeah. You know, there's, not, there's, there's a lot less for the radiation to be filtered out. But then a cloud comes in and goes right in front of the sun. And then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're freezing. Like you can sit there and you can watch a glass of water freeze before your eyes. Whoa, man. So, so, so you got to be bundled up, but then it gets hot. So you'd have to unbundle layer. Yeah. And then, <laughs> holy cow, man. And I just, so, so what point did you, when you got there say, yeah, this, this, my, I'm, I'm crazy. Did you ever have like that? <laughs> there was a moment when I started suffering high altitude induced swelling of the brain called um, HACE, high altitude cerebral edema. So basically, because there's less pressure out here, there's still that high pressure inside my body where I'm not used to it. My brain started swelling and it can only swell so far, but it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because I was at, actually at camp three on that sheet of ice that I mentioned before. 
we were getting ready to leave camp three to go up to camp four, rest there, and then go up to the summit. I came down with this altitude-induced swelling of the brain, physically could not function. I couldn't move. So I, I, I slap on oxygen, you know, a, a mask that was connected mm-hmm. to a tube connected to a big tank. Mm-hmm. And it's not like the scuba diving tanks. So they're like, they're spun and super, super light. So I'm sitting on oxygen for an entire day, woke up the next morning and went up the mountain, went to camp four, no problems and made it to the summit. But if I wouldn't have had that, I would have followed everybody else, every other group who's on the same schedule as us to go from camp three to camp four. They went for the summit push, bad weather came in and pushed them back down the mountain. So if I wouldn't have had that, I wouldn't have made it up to the top. And so when you're doing it, do you get tired out of breath kind of thing? Cause it's hard to breathe. And also like the cardio of it, you know, when you're jogging, you can get out of breath and feel like that while you're hiking, or is it not like that? So it's, this is one of the most difficult things to describe. It's like, it's like you're running, like you said, around your track, right? Mm -hmm. But you're sprinting for three laps. Okay. And you physically cannot slow down. You have to go that fast. But the thing is, the only thing that's similar there is the breathing pattern. Going out for the summit push, you are literally taking a half, pretend these are my feet, right? And I wear size 13. So it's half a step. And then you're sitting there breathing for 10 or 15 breaths. Then you take a half a step. Then you sit there and you breathe 15, 20, 30 times. Then half a step, breathe 15, 20, 30 times. Because the air is so thin, it just goes in and out so quickly. You can breathe that fast but the oxygen is so far spread out so if we went from where we are right now to the summit of mount everest just like that we would be dead within five minutes wow so, so you have to constantly breathing and constantly and, moving. and you're taking a half a step at a time so how far from the last camp to the summit how far distance is that so it's roughly, roughly. three thousand vertical feet okay and in colorado when i'm training i can do that in three hours less than three hours we left base camp around 10 p.m. I summited 11 hours later. And then how do you get back down? <laughs> Very slowly. <laughs> you just you just turn around and walk back? They don't have something to help you? Like, hey, hop in here and no, just take when, you back down? <laughs> that's the, exactly. Well, that, the crazy thing is, like in the documentaries and everything, you see people reaching the tops of the mountains. They're like, ah, oh, we made it. Fantastic. That's halfway. Yeah, because you're going to get back down. Back down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, you have to do it slowly. And the issue is, like when you're going up a mountain and if you fall, into the mountain when you're mountaineering that's okay but when you're coming down that's when you're psychologically and physically exhausted that's when most of the injuries and deaths happen because you're not you're not very cognizant of where you're putting your feet and if you take one wrong step coming down you could tumble down and not stop until you're dead and so is it all ice at that point or is there some brown and green and it's mostly snow there's no green okay it's snow. if you see okay. green it's on someone's clothes okay so it's snow all right yeah. got it Holy cow, man. It's just like, I got to watch some documentaries on it. I've probably seen some in the past, but I just never really, really dug into it because I just knew like that ain't for me. (laughs) If if you want to see a good one, check out uh, True North on Amazon Prime. Okay. True North. Yeah. I've seen that recently. I haven't seen it, but I've sold it on there. So I'll check that one out. And then, so from there, you got into uh, the Ironman, right? (laughs) After Everest, I actually climbed the highest mountain on every continent. And then I went to do the Hawaii Ironman. Was it... did you ever have any dangerous situations at any of these, like where you fell at all or that, not the that brain swelling was that, bad enough, but yeah, <laughs> that's bad enough. But anything besides that? I did on my last mountain of the seven summits, I was climbing Denali, the highest mountain in North America in Alaska. And I remember we were at the crux of the climb, being like the most difficult part. And again, it was about an ang- a glacier, about an angle like that. And I was going up the climbing partner. We had 50 feet of rope between us. And I was testing out new crampons, which are those metal spikes that you have on the bottom of your boots. And I was going up and for some reason, the front point didn't catch. 
So I rocketed down past him 50 feet and then further down 50 more feet. So I fell 100 feet on Denali. And I remember it's so weird how like from different perspectives, you have this concept of time. So for him, he said it was over like that. Right. You know, he saw, he saw me fall, boom, down. Yeah. For me, I remember I slipped and I was laying on my back and I remember rocketing down the hill. And you know how sometimes your brain just clicks so mm -hmm. quickly. And I remember thinking to myself, as I'm shooting down my back, thinking, well, this isn't good. <laughs> right. I should, I should probably try to stop. So I rolled over with my ice axe, dug it into the snow, and it eventually came to a stop. Got my wits about me, climbed back up to where I fell, belayed him in, got him in safely. And then that's when one of my adrenaline was stopped. So I was, I was shaking. And we went back down to camp and I looked up and I was like, man, let me, let me know if this is my time. Let me know if, give me a sign, something. And I leaned back in my tent. Somehow my hood caught my glacier glasses that were hanging in the tent, snapped them in half. I was like, I kind of needed those, man. But that was probably one of the most dangerous moments that I had. I rocketed down the mountain 100 feet. And, and if you didn't slow yourself down, where would it have taken you? Wow. Probably another couple down miles there. off the mountain. Yeah. And then you would have died. No, like, Absolutely. You, I didn't know if you stopped somewhere eventually, or you're just going so fast. So the thing about slowing down time, I was in an SUV and got T-boned with my family going about 50 miles an hour. And we turned sideways and rolled over about three times and ended up on the roof and skidded to a stop. And just like you said, I'm sure people that were watching it were like, wow. But, but we were literally like, I was in there thinking to myself, oh my goodness, this, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. But I can't go like this. I can't go like this. It's yeah. not happening. And, uh, but it felt like forever until we came to a stop. So I remember exactly that, uh, that feeling in regards to that. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So what are you into now? Like what's going on now? The Ironman and then you did the Ironman, but then are you doing another one or are you still competing or what are you getting into now, Sean? Now, well, I, I just got done doing the North Pole. So I did this North Pole and South Pole with the seven summits in the North and South Pole. That's called the Explorer the Grand Slam, which I still think sounds like a Denny's breakfast product. But I, <laughs> yeah, you know. it does. Uh, so that's called the Explorer's Grand Slam. I'm the first cancer survivor to do all that. And if you add in the Hawaii Ironman, there's only one person who's ever done all that. So what's next is I'm working on the Summit Challenge, which is an online program. But physically, I'm hoping to find the sponsorship to do seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. Jeez. <laughs> With travel and everything included? Yeah, travel and everything Everything's got to be done in seven days on a calendar. Yeah. Not just seven different days. Okay. Right. Unbelievable. Seven, seven consecutive days. I'm trying to think how that's even possible. I'm sure it is. If you figure, you've probably already documented, like wrote, wrote it out, blueprinted it out, didn't you? Got it done. Start off in Antarctica, you go to Johannesburg, fly over to, uh, to Australia, hit Dubai, Madrid, Santiago, Miami. Holy cow. I'm just blown away by it, man. Do you ever feel like I've done something miraculous or is it all like no big deal to you? No, nah, it's- Besides surviving cancer twice. I think that kind of goes back to my personal core values, you know, what means most to me, because on every single trip, every single expedition I've been on, I've always had a flag that had names of people touched by cancer. You know, they're always my personal drive. They're always my personal motivation. And that's why I do what I do. I don't think um, I do it sometimes, obviously, to push myself and make sure I'm, I'm checking in, just kind of make sure I'm still alive. Right. But I think more than anything, it's that personal motivation of helping other people believe in themselves. Yeah. And then when you have a clear purpose, you are powerful. There's no doubt Absolutely. about it. No doubt about it. I talk about that all the time. All right. So final question before I do that, what's the best way for people to engage with you? Where can I find you? Sean at cancerclimber.org or just look for me on all social media. It's easy. Sean Thorner. All right. Cool. Cool. Go support Sean guys. And final question, 
rocket fuel. <laughs> I already told you what this means and all that, but it's like you're way, way, way beyond any guest I've ever had when it comes to rocket fuel concept of turning setbacks into rocket fuel. So going forward, and I think we already touched on this a little bit, but I just want to hear what does the rocket fuel concept mean to you? I think you hit it too, you know, finding a core purpose of what you want to do. And once you dial into your passion, you have an unlimited resource of, of fuel. Yeah, very well said, man. I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of in awe. And you know, a lot of times when people are in awe, it's really a reflection of where they've been. You know, like if somebody says, C-Rock, you're killing it, man. You're killing it. You're doing amazing. And I never think it's as good as what they say it is. I have a saying as well. It's never as bad as you think it is. And it's never as good as other people view it to be. So, but it's still, I'm in all of you, man. And I respect you. And I, I'm, I'm man, it just blows me away. So I, I want to thank you for coming on today, Sean. I appreciate it, man. And I look forward to following you as you're on your journey to the seven marathons and seven continents. It's freaking awesome. I know you can do it. You've already done what you've done in the past. So I know you can do it and I'm supporting you. I'm not, I would never, ever doubt you. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Definitely appreciate your support. Thanks, Thanks for the opportunity to be here too. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for being on the show. You guys have been listening to the What Are You Made Of podcast with your boy, the unstoppable Mike Zerock and the definitely, definitely, definitely unstoppable Sean Swarner. Go check him out, follow him, and let's all root for him because you know what? Maybe he not just will get it done, but he'll get it done faster with all of our support. So thank you for listening, guys. Go subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. YouTube, Mike C-Rocks Rocco, if you want to watch these and go get the Rocket Fuel book. Until next time, be unstoppable. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Are You Made Of? Be sure to check my website out at themikecrock.com, themikecrock with no K.com, and let us know how we can help you or your business reach its full potential. Feel free to leave a review or follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Mike C-Rock Scirocco. Again, thank you for joining me and see you guys on the next episode. I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at my website, mikecrock.com forward slash book. That's mikecrock.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. Thank you so much for your support and your listenership. It means the world to me.